being here. We are starting a new series that we're going to do for uh, undetermined a number of weeks, I'm not quite sure, called The Perfect Christian. And there's a little spoiler at the bottom. If you haven't quite yet seen it, the spoiler is they don't exist. But we're going to be talking about um, and beginning to talk about the stereotypical perfect Christian. And I want to do that not using words. I actually want to do that by showing you a video. Okay. Now this is one of those videos that some of you may have seen before. Um, but if not, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's a video that involves you having a little participation. Uh, it's kind of like one of those videos you do at ball games um, where they have like a ball under a hat and then they move the hats around on the video screen and you got to figure out what hat it's under after they, you know, move it all around, you know, so many times. In this video, your goal is to to count the number of times the, the player, the basketball players with a white t-shirt on pass the basketball, okay? White t-shirt, how many times they pass the basketball. So you're really going to have to focus and count as we go through, as, as the video plays, how many times they do it. Now, if you have seen this video before, um, please do not, you know, shout out the answer. Please do not make a indication. In fact, for the, for, the, for the next few seconds as we watch this video together, just don't say anything at all. No noises to indicate the answer to this. And if you've seen this video, you know what I'm talking about. So just, just it's, it's quiet, okay? And if you're watching online, you can participate as well and just throw the, throw the answer in the chat box, okay? Are you ready that? Ready for this? Remember, white shirt basketball players, number of times they pass the basketball, okay? It's like a 30-second video, so you kind of got to pay attention, all right? Ready, set, here we go. Go, don't, don't, hold on, hold on. Okay, all right, so how many of you, and online people, you put your answers in the chat box, okay? How many of you counted 13? One, 14, a couple more, 15, okay, the majority, 16, okay, couple. Anybody over 16? Okay, perfect. How many of you saw the gorilla? Yes, that's the appropriate response. Yeah, so generally about 50% of the people will see the gorilla. How many of you that didn't, sorry, that you didn't know that there was a gorilla in this video and yet you still saw the, the gorilla? How many of you? Okay, still, still closer, yeah, okay. Yeah, and the rest of you that didn't know that there's a gorilla in the video, there's a gorilla in the video. And if you don't believe me, let's rewind it and you watch it and, and here's the rewind. Rewind. <laughs> this is today's funny video, by the way. <clears throat> Not only is there a gorilla, but the gorilla stops in the middle of the video and pounds its chest. And now if you think you, you should feel bad for not seeing the gorilla, the first time I saw this, I think it was in a Psych 101 class 
uh, that I took for college credit in high school, and I totally missed it. Had no idea. And then they're like, where's the gorilla? And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no gorilla in there. Um, but what's happening in our brains is what's called selective attention. In other words, and you, you know this, is there is way too much information in a given day, in a given moment, for you to absorb it all. It's really too difficult for our brains to know everything that's going on. For example, if, if you know, after today's message, we took a survey and we said, hey, how many light pillars are behind me and how many light pillars are up there and how many screens and all these kinds of things, you wouldn't be able to, to know all of it, right? So because you, there's just too much information at a given moment to absorb everything. And so you have to tell your brain, what are you going to selectively focus on? And that means some things are going to get missed. You think what matters most in this video is counting the number of white shirts, and because you're so focused on that, you miss at least 50% or more people on average in this video miss the fact that there is a gorilla walking through the video. And I share this video because I think this is a perfect illustration for what happens exactly when it comes to perfect Christians. And let me explain what I mean by that, okay? Perfect Christians are so focused on this line right here. They're so focused on where this line is in its relationship to good and bad. And if you grew up in church, you kind of know this. This is just a new way to explain something you felt growing up in church. Because there were hours and hours and hours you sat through, growing up in church, for some of you at least, where it was all about what you should and shouldn't do. In fact, there was probably more emphasis on the bad things, the things that you shouldn't do, maybe a little bit more than the good things that you should be doing. For example, you should not be smoking. You should not be drinking. In some cases, you should not be dancing because that leads to premarital sex, even though it's a difficult somewhat connection leap to make. But you know, there he is, bad tattoos, drugs, and, and really the list goes on and on and on. And especially, especially if other people are looking, you shouldn't do those bad things. But we all know that if nobody's looking, you know, is it really that bad? And so you try to hide the bad things that you knew you weren't supposed to do or were told growing up that you weren't supposed to do. And instead, you're supposed to, as a perfect Christian, focus on the good side of things. Because we have clearly now established, like, what goes in the bad bucket, and then we establish somewhat of what happens in the good bucket, like going to church and singing in the choir and playing the bell or the band or doing kids ministry for like decades until you're so tired of kids ministry you never want to see another child in your life again. You're supposed to do good things like get baptized because that's what good Christians do. And, and you're supposed to take your kids to Sunday school every Sunday and then you do confirmation and things like that. You got to check all those boxes to make sure you end up on the good side of things and making sure that you specifically are on the good side of things. They don't really talk a lot about making sure that everybody else is on the good side of things. You just, you know, just kind of judge everybody else, especially compared to your incredibly high and good stature. And that's what a good and perfect Christian does. They know where that line is, and they make sure, they may get close to the line sometimes, but they make sure they're going to be on the good side of things. And then what makes matters worse is everybody thinks their line is better. All the Christians think their line is the better, more Christian, the more righteous, the more holy of all lines. And that's why churches then split. 
You've heard of churches splitting before. You know, you got regular Baptists and you got Southern Baptists. And I guarantee you part of the problem there is because they just disagreed on where that good and bad line was. And then you have Lutheran, and you got Missouri Synod Lutheran, and then you got Free Methodists, and then you got Normal Methodists and United Methodists and all these kinds of different churches. And, and really their core argument and their core, core difference a lot of times just has to do with where is that line? Where are we going to set that line and whose line is better? And it divides people all because of that line. Now, of course, all of us want to be on the good side. All of us want to be on the 15. You know, you watch the video and you counted 15. You were right. You were not bad. You were not guessing 13 or 14 or 16 or 17. Like you got it right. And all the Christians, all the perfect Christians are so focused on making sure they count, miss, so focused on, on counting 15 that they miss, they miss the point. They miss the point. And this is the problem. We talked about this in our last series called New. But the next generation is looking at the current generation of Christians. And in a lot of ways, they're kind of scratching their heads and they're thinking to themselves a little bit along the lines of, I don't want to tell you Christians how to do your religion, but it feels like you're missing the point. Because from an outsider looking in to Christianity, you're so consumed with what's right and what's wrong and being on the right side of it that you've ended up causing immense division within yourselves. You, you come out appearing self-righteous and xenophobic and homophobic and politically influenced and judgmental and, and just a fairly unhappy bunch of people. All because you just are so consumed with being on the right side of the right line. And the next generation says, in fact, hundreds of thousands of the next generation year after year for at least the last decade are leaving Christianity and saying, I don't want to be a part of that because I think you're missing the point. I think you're missing the gorilla in the room. And can, can we really blame that next generation for those decisions? Because part of us, deep down, I think we all know, we have this sense that to be a perfect Christian, it's not. It's not about what's good versus what's bad. It's not about where is the line. It doesn't start there. It starts with zooming out, looking at the big picture and realizing, whoa, I thought this was a fun game of count the basketball, but there's a giant gorilla walking through, beating his chest as he goes through, and maybe I don't know it all. Maybe I've missed some things. If your goal is to become a perfect Christian, you're going to have a lot of work to do to figure that out and make sure you're on the right side of things. But, but if you want to do Christianity the way I think it was intended to be done, I hope you pay attention for the next few minutes. If we go through the Bible and we just do like a quick Google search or a word find, you know, control F and you type in the word Christian in the Bible, the word Christian shows up. Anybody want to take a guess at how many times it shows up? Two, we got two and three. Another number game, sorry. There's three times the word Christian shows up, twice in Acts and then once later in the epistles, I think. Peter, don't proof me on that. But anyways, um, 
It shows up only three times. And a lot of Christians don't even know that because if you're going to try to figure out what does a good Christian do and you try to go to the Bible to figure that out, there's not a lot to work off of because it's ultimately the wrong question. It's not about becoming a perfect Christian. It's about becoming something else, which is what we're going to get to. The first time the word Christian was used was about five to ten. It's hard to know exactly. Five to ten years into Christianity's existence, into the beginning of the church. And it didn't happen in modern-day Israel or Jerusalem where you think like the epicenter of, you know, all these um, religions are. It actually happened in modern-day Syria in uh, a city called Antioch. And here's what um, Acts, which is kind of this great book that documents the beginning of the church, here's what it says. The first mention of Christian. Oh, too far. There we go. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, not by themselves. They were called Christians by outsiders. People outside the church called them Christians. And it was kind of in a negative sense. It was kind of like a derogatory term, like nerd, okay? And then kind of like nerd became like an okay thing. Like nerd became the person that you really wanted to be friends with because you needed their help to fix your computer. And so just by necessity, you actually started treating nerds like kindly where they weren't really, you know, at the first, at the beginning. Okay, that's kind of how Christianity in in a way work. Okay, Um, and then, and so they were first called there. The second time, that was three. (laughs) Let me get that right. The second time, um, Christians are referenced in the Bible. Again, in Acts was the time the Apostle Paul was having a discussion with King Agrippa, who was the uh, king of modern-day Jerusalem and Judea area for the Roman Empire. He was uh, King Herod the Great's um, descendant. Okay, so he was in charge, and and Paul was having a, let's call it a discussion, disagreement, argument, discussion, dialogue, something around those lines, okay? And here's what he said. Then Agrippa said, to Paul, do you think, listen to the kind of the sneer in his voice, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a what? A Christian? To be a nerd? A little sneer. See, Christians at that time weren't obsessed with becoming Christians. Christians were obsessed with something else. Christians were focused in asking different questions than oftentimes we ask today. They were obsessed with a man called Jesus. And if you would have gone to them and you would have said, you're a Christian, they would have been like, I don't know what that means. So if, if they weren't called Christians, what did they call themselves? What did um, Peter and, and John and Mary and Peter, uh, the closest followers of Jesus, what did they call themselves? Acts, backing up to chapter 9. Now Saul, do you remember Saul? He was pre-Paul. He eventually becomes Paul, but not until he becomes a Christian. At this point, he's a, he's a, a Jewish Pharisee, and he's out to get Christians. He's out to write Christianity off the face of the earth, and Acts documents a little bit of his life. Now Saul, still breathing, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters for him to go to the synagogues at Damascus. So he's about to take a journey that you may have heard of before. It's the road to Damascus, uh, and he is about to meet Jesus, okay? But we're not going to get to that part of the story. It's just the next verse that matters. So that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The first Christians did not call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. 
And then over the next few decades, Christianity kind of caught on, not because the Christians decided or the followers of the ways, the followers of Jesus said we want to be called Christians. It was because the outside world started referring to them as Christian. So here's a question. What is the central theme in these two terms, in Christian and the way? What does it derive from? What is the key to both of those terms? Christ and the way. And some of you have heard this verse before. It's a very fairly famous verse. Oh, wow, I lost my mic. Um, from uh, John uh, chapter 14. The focus is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one is what that means. Um, and Jesus answered. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. First Christians got what we so often miss. They weren't worried about good and bad so much as they were focused on Jesus. Because Christians got what so often we miss in those days. They knew if they focused on Jesus, they would be on the right side. If they focused on, which kind of makes sense, the way, if they focused on the truth, if they focused on the life of life, the giver of life, they were probably going to end up okay in the end. That If they followed Jesus, they would probably end up on the good side at the end. Think about Peter for a second. Peter, um, one of Jesus' closest followers, uh, kind of an outspoken guy. You may have heard of him when you were growing up in church. Um, Peter, in Luke chapter 5, right at, you know, kind of when he uh, steps onto the pages of uh, the biblical story. And Peter uh, is uh, first meeting with Jesus. His first, very first meeting with Jesus involves fishing and fish and all this kind of stuff. At the end of this meeting, he is so overwhelmed by Jesus. He literally says to me, Jesus, get away from me because I am a sinful Man, He was so concerned with making sure, because that's what Jewish culture had taught them at that point, he was so legalistically sure that he, he wanted to be making sure he was on the good side, and he didn't feel like he was on the good side in Jesus' presence. So he said, Jesus, you got to get away from me because I'm on the bad side, and I can tell you're on the good side, and I don't want to get you dirty with my badness. But then it's interesting to see how Peter evolves, because then over the next chapters of the gospel narratives, Peter struggles with this. He goes back and forth of if I'm good enough or am I not good enough and trying to make sure he can get into the kingdom and be, you know, at the right hand with Jesus and be in control. He's trying to figure this all out, okay? And he really struggles with this all throughout. And then Jesus dies and rises again. And you hear, if you read like 1 Peter, just, just when you go home, um, read uh, 1 Peter, one of Peter's letters, 1 Peter chapter 1. Just read that. And, and try to parse out through reading that, just once through, just read it all the way through, how often he talks about Jesus. He talks about good and bad. He doesn't not address that. But every time he talks about good and bad, he ties it back to Jesus. He says, the reason we're doing this, the reason we should live this way, is not because we want to be on the right side of good and bad. It's because Jesus. It's because this is what Jesus did, and I trust Jesus, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And this is what Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 14. We, we read that famous verse, and we don't really go on. Look at what Jesus says. He says, if you really know me, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, if you really know me, like, if you get to know me, like, you know how I think. You understand my values and my priorities and, and how you treat people and 
how you make decisions, if you, if you get to know me, like you all get to know your friends and your family members and people at work, you get to know them. Hopefully you get to know them a little bit. You know, you get to know what they value and sometimes they value things you don't value and so you kind of feel separate from them, that kind of thing, right? Okay, and, and it's just like that. You build a relationship with me, Jesus says. If you get to know me and you get to know how I think and what I value, then, he goes on to say, through knowing me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. You know God the Father. And how do you know God the Father? If you know me. You know God the Father's heart. You know God the Father's will and desire for your life if you know Jesus. And then Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, Philip jumps in and does, I think, so often what we all do. You know, we get home today, like we'll get home Sunday afternoon, okay? We'll wake up, we'll make up Monday morning and we'll kind of forget what we all talked about today. And, you know, that was nice service, Taylor. It's good to be back in the building. Yeah, 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 we'll see you next week, okay? And, and then you just go to work and you go through your daily life and you just kind of forget about what we're talking about, okay? And you go back to the old way of thinking between good and bad. And, and you know, you'll have a decision during the week and you're like, the good thing to do would be this, but the bad thing and more convenient thing would probably be to do this. And so what am I going to decide? And you just go back to, well, I want to make sure I try to do the good thing. Okay. You don't think in terms of Jesus. That's what Philip is about to do. He's going to go back to counting passes and miss the gorilla in the room. Here's what he says. Here's his question. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that we will be, and that will be enough for us. Jesus, I don't, I don't want you to make it relational. I don't want us to have to get to know you and, and talk to you and ask questions and then you answer questions. I don't want to do that. I just, just, just show us, you know, just show us the Father so we know, you know, we're, we're here in comparison to the Father and how good we have to be to be close to the Father. And, you know, just make it black and white. We don't want to do the messy gray thing. Just spell it out so it can be easy and understandable. Show us the line of where we're, we, as far as we can get, so we're over the lines, so we're close enough to God. Just, just show us so we understand. Make it easy and simple. Give us that perfect checklist so we can go through and check the boxes. Yep, we did all these, these things, and so we're on the good side. You know, we got baptized, confirmation, Sunday school, all that good stuff. We're a good, good Christian. And there's nothing wrong with going to church, by the way. There's nothing wrong with going to Sunday school, by the way. It's just what's happening in here and why you're showing up. It's the motivation for doing it. Jesus answered, Philip, again, don't you know me, Philip? It's not a checklist, Philip. It's not a rule book to follow, Philip. It's not good and bad. It's just me, Jesus. It's about knowing me. It's about trusting me. It's about following me. Even, I mean, Philip, how long have we been together? We've been doing this, you know? I mean, I've been among you for such a long time, and yet you still think, oh, just spell it out. You know, give us a list of 10, 20 things we got to do, Jesus, before we die so we make it to heaven. And Jesus is like, no, just know me. Know me. And the rest will work out. Being a perfect Christian is not knowing where that line is or having the most holy or perfect line being on the right side of righteousness. Being a perfect Christian starts with answering this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Am I following Jesus? 
Is he worth following? Do I trust him? Is he worth trusting? Whether, this is what I love about this question, by the way, whether you're Christian or not, whether you're a skeptic, atheist, agnostic, not sure, nothing, anywhere in between, the same question is the same question you need to be answering. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? That is the 500-pound giant gorilla beating its chest in the middle of the video. And we're so focused on just making sure we're on the right side that we miss the thing that matters the most. We miss knowing Jesus. We miss having a relationship with Jesus. Listen, I don't read my Bible um, because uh, I want to be on the good side of the line or so I can make it to heaven. I read my Bible because it helps me to know God better. And I like it. It's fun. I learn a lot. It helps me to understand who Jesus is. And when I understand who Jesus is, I understand who God is. The reason you memorize verses is to not show off, as so often in a lot of churches growing up, that's what it, what it was. You know, I, I met a guy and he, he memorized the entire book of Romans, okay? And I, and, and I just had this sense, I'm like, I'm not sure that you memorize the entire book of Romans. I mean, Romans is dense, okay? He memorized it. I'm not sure you memorized it to get closer to knowing Jesus as much as you did to win competitions and to show off to everybody else that you memorized it and nobody else had it as memorized as you did. You feel that, don't you? You feel like, eh, it's just not the right way to do that. I mean, I mean think about this. If, if someone says, hey, I want to take you out and I want to buy you lunch, what are you thinking? Oh, well, that's kind of nice of you, you know? Let's, uh, let's go to Joseph's Steakhouse or something, you know? Let's, let's have a good steak if you're buying. Um, you know, and, 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 and what if you would sit down with them over lunch and you ask them, hey, hey, why did you, you want to, you know, get lunch? And, and they just straight up told you. They said, well, just so I win brownie points, so I'm on your good side. I mean, how would you feel? Does that nice gesture feel so nice anymore? No, you just feel used. Jesus feels the same way. God feels the same way. He says, I don't want you to do this so, so you get on my good side, so you use me to make sure you get into heaven. I'm not just, you know, uh, 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 something to be used. I'm not just a tool. I, I care about you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to take you to lunch because I want to get to know you better. Because I care about you. I want people, for example, it's Pastor Taylor talking, by the way, not, not Jesus. Um, I, I, want, I want people to be baptized, not because they're trying to get on God's good side, because then they're going to get into heaven. I want people to be baptized because they've decided to trust Jesus. And they just want everybody else to know that they have begun a journey of getting to know Jesus better. That's it. I trust Jesus, and I'm on a journey. I'm beginning a journey to get to know Jesus better. Not just the right way to behave. Not just so I can compare myself to other Christians or I can compare myself to the pastor. Oh my gosh, I, growing up, that, that happened all the time as people would just like drive by the pastor's house because I lived by the pastor. They just drive by the pastor's house to make sure that, you know, oh, the pastor's got a new car. Guess who I, what I'm doing next? I'm upgrading, you know, because the pastor did, so I can too. You know, I mean, just like, no. It's about knowing Jesus. And the greatest problem, problem, and you know this, I mean, this is just, 
me telling you something you already know. The greatest problem, problems for Christianity begin when the focus strays from knowing J Jesus. Think about American history, for example. You know, Christians will claim in American history that they've always worshiped the God of all creation, yet they'll then institutionalize things like slavery. And they'll twist Bible verses to justify their ends. They'll preach the gospel, the good news, but keep women from voting or leading because women are not as capable, not as gifted. Despite the fact that when it came to Jesus, Jesus was not only funded by women, like the only mention of Jesus getting like money from people was the women. Look, check out Luke, uh, Luke's gospel and how Mary and her friends, they were the ones who funded Jesus's ministry, not the men, the women. I know women, you're like, shocker, okay? Um, that, that's who, that's who uh, and, and then Jesus would teach and he would have women sit at his feet which is like the prestigious place. The closest you are to the teacher, the more, you know, special you were in those, in those days. And women would sit at the feet of Jesus. For, for, for decades, Christians have hungered for more, to be wealthier, to have more stuff, and yet claim to follow a modest, and in some cases you could argue poor, Jesus. Christians have turned a blind eye to entire people groups, like Native Americans. Just read a book on that. It's just shocking. Even though Christians claim that everybody's equal at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Churches split again and again and again. Some of you read in the news, like there's massive church split probably happening next year within the Protestant church within the United States. It's happening today. And you want to know why a lot of churches split? It is rarely because they disagree on who Jesus is. If you go and ask them, you say, hey, one side, who's Jesus? They're going to say Jesus is the Savior, the truth, the way, the life, you know, death, resurrection, paid for my sins, all that good stuff. And then you go over here, and they're going to say the exact same thing on the other side. But what do they disagree on? They disagree on other issues. They disagree on where that good and bad line is. And if we don't, if we don't agree on that, we've got to go our separate ways. Why? Because you all think that you're better than this side, and this side thinks they're all better and have the more righteous line than the other side. Yet they all agree on Jesus. So who is Jesus? Who is he? This is our strength as a church. I'm not talking big church. I'm talking even infused church. Our priorities, how we've navigated this pandemic, has always come back to who is Jesus. I just preached on that a couple weeks ago. And we talked about how we're going to move back indoors and the steps were taken. And I answered every question. I just personally, I had to go back to, okay, who is Jesus? What did Jesus teach? I'm not going to do what I want to do because what I want to do may be different than sometimes what Jesus wants, but I'm going to go with what Jesus said. So how can I better know who Jesus is? And therefore get a better window into who God the Father is and inform our decisions. We're a fairly diverse group of people. I don't know if you knew that. We have people from all sorts of political spectrums, a diverse group of people economically, church backgrounds. Some of you grew up Catholic. Some of you grew up, you know, really conservative Protestant. Some of you like didn't grow up in church. And yet we can all come together. And I just want to let you in on a little secret of why that is. Partially because y'all are pretty kind and humble people. But the other reason is right here because... From a leadership and all down, we are constantly just trying to answer the question, who is Jesus and how can we help people know him better? 
This ultimately matters more than anything else. And we can still all gather together and not bicker amongst each other and, you know, all caps posts on Facebook and social media and all that kind of stuff because we know what matters most and we're being wise and we're not having selective attention and missing the most important thing in the rules. We're not trying to create task lists and make sure everybody checks all of our perfect little boxes and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. We're okay with messes. We're okay with gray relational issues. We're okay trying to navigate those. Why? Because that's how Jesus did ministry. That's who Jesus is. And we just want to be Jesus. And I hope no matter where you are in the faith spectrum, that could be your pursuit as well. A couple discussion questions for your drive home or if you're watching online uh, to have with those sitting with you or, or maybe call somebody up to talk about it. Number one, how have you seen Christianity become a task list or a line of good and bad in the past? So in your past, how have you seen Christianity, you know, just kind of become checkboxes and all that kind of thing? Number two, what is one way you can get to know Jesus this week? Just one way. I'm just asking you one simple way to get to know Jesus a little bit better this week. If you want to take a picture of it on your phone, snap, you know, that kind of thing will be posted online as well. But, but here's, here's your discussion questions for this week to kind of keep the conversation going. If you want to bow your heads, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you uh, for... Oh, man, for Jesus, for, for, for sending your son to be your representative on earth, that we have an opportunity to get to know you better through your son. You weren't a distant God. You were a close God. You weren't far away. You were close and relational. You didn't just set out a task list like so many other religions in the world. Some task lists, some religions, they just don't even know if they're on the good. They won't find out if they're on the good or the bad side till the very end. And you're not about that. You're about, I care about you. I want to be with you, my creation. That's the kind of God you are. And thank you for showing that through your son, Jesus. Help us all, wherever we are in our walk of faith, Maybe we're not walking the faith walk. Maybe we've been walking it for a long time. Maybe, maybe we've been Christians for a long time. Help us to rethink maybe a little bit. Help us to be willing to be jolted out of our comfort zones, to realize that we've tried to oversimplify it sometimes to the extent that we've missed the gorilla in the room. We've missed what it really is all about, what the foundation of Christianity really is about, and it has to do with your son, Jesus. So help us to leave today being willing to answer the question, to ask the question in some cases, to figure out the answer to the question, who is Jesus and how can we get to know him better? We pray this in your name. Amen.